Turn with me in your devices to 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 18 through 22. Say it in your devices or your Bible if you have one. Amen. We have been in a series called Different. Been in a series called Different. One of the things we've been talking about in this series is just this idea of suffering, of suffering. We've been talking about how Peter has written this letter to the church, to people that are suffering. They're under persecution, under Nero. And they're going through great times of pressure and injustice and frustration. One of the things that as I continue in this book, it has been blessing me to to teach this book to you. Um, This is a challenging passage of scripture, again, that we're dealing with today. And it's been a blessing for me to teach this to you. But one of the things I found the more I've dived into 1 Peter 3 is this culture does not prepare us to suffer. American culture does not do a good job of teaching us how to suffer well. My wife and I are sitting on stage on Monday, our day off, and we're watching this movie. It's called American Son. And um, I won't give the movie away. It's still relatively new. I'll give you another week before I use it deeply in my sermon. But let's, it's enough to say the movie doesn't end the way you expect it to end. And at the end of the movie, the way it ends, it leaves you with your mouth open, waiting, and saying to the screen, I know you're not about to roll credits. Right? There has to be some other thing that comes at the back end of this movie because it's almost not supposed to happen that someone would experience the type of suffering they experience in that movie. Most of the television shows we watch in 48 minutes or less, they're gonna bring a happy ending somewhere in the story. Even if we watch movies like Marvel, in the last Marvel big movie that came out, I don't know the name of it, if you have questions about Marvel movies, just ask Dan Norzia, he'll tell you everything you need to know. But when Thanos killed um, Iron Man, it was almost like, did Iron Man just die? And when is he coming back? There's something about suffering for us that feels wrong, not just in movies, but in, in our own life. When we suffer, sometimes we can be caught saying stuff like, man, this is not supposed to happen to me. Or stuff like, what did I do to deserve this? See, we have low thresholds of pain. We also have low thresholds of discomfort. If we are not, not just pain-free, but if we experience any kind of discomfort, we feel like the, the earth is over, the sky has fallen. 
particularly, and I'm not picking on millennials, I'm technically one of them um, on the border. Um, but with millennials in particular, it's almost like comfort is king. Like if I'm tired, it's a problem. Or if I experience stress, then my equilibrium is off and I need to reanalyze everything in my life because I'm not supposed to be tired. I don't want to speak in, in general big sweeping statements, but I do want to say this. Our culture does not prepare us well to deal with the kind of suffering Peter's going to be talking about. For some of us, it's not a question of will I eat this week. The question for many of us is how many times can I eat out? And if I can't eat out X number of times, woe is me. You mean we don't even have enough to go out to eat this week? You see, this culture, our, our, our society has not equipped us well to deal with suffering. And here's my concern for you as a pastor. Suffering will only increase. It would only become less popular to take a stance for Jesus. My, my, my concern is, is that we will see more and more people that claim to be Christians fall away because things got uncomfortable. And this kind of thinking is not gospel thinking. Gospel thinking reminds us that God made everything good, but because of sin, we live in a broken world. Because of sin, we are broken ourselves. And Jesus comes to redeem us and to fix our sin problem, but he does not take us out of this body or out of this world. And so we'll still have tension and issues and challenges and frustrations and we should not think these things strange we'll have relational tension we'll have marital tension we'll have singleness tension and it's a part of living in a broken world so if you're here this morning, you will call yourself a believer, gird up your loins, and follow King Jesus through suffering. If you would say this morning that I am not a believer, I'm here, somebody invited me and I came, cool in the game, you still feel me because suffering is universal. I'm still in your neighborhood whether you're a Christian or not. You will experience suffering. And this is why Peter is writing this letter to help us. I want to clarify what I mean by suffering. People suffer, like I said earlier, because we live in a broken world. Number two, people suffer because we do dumb stuff. Sometimes our suffering is because of our own bad choices we've made. 
But the suffering Peter's talking about and the suffering I want to hone in on is suffering for righteousness sake. And that kind of suffering is when we're suffering because we're taking a stance for Jesus. Suffering because we're taking a stance for Jesus. So let's jump into the text and see what the text has to say. What time is it? Let's get it. First Peter 3, 18, verse 22, should be on the screen, reads as follows. Only four verses, but we'll get through it. Sorry, five verses. It says this, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the day of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not to the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. I want to talk to you about three things this morning under the title of a different suffering. One, the uniqueness of Christ's suffering. Two, preaching patiently. Three, victory for today. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are good and you are gracious. Father, we pray, God, that you would speak to us. As I prayed earlier, would you clear out the rubble of our hearts that we may receive the engrafted word of God that is able to save us. Lord, would you, would you do that? Would your gospel be clear? God, would you bring about all that you want your people to learn here this morning? And we promise to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was growing up and we would have dinner time at the table, uh, my mom used to make a dish called cuckoo. Does anybody know what cuckoo is here? Praise you. Thank God for you, Galeen. Oh, in the back too. Praise God for you. Thank you. Cuckoo is a, is, a, is a dish, it's made out of cornmeal and you make a gravy, kind of a stew with it. You usually make this with fish. If you've ever had flying fish, it is amazing. If you haven't, it would be at the new feast in eternity, so you'll experience it there. Um, but it's, it's an incredible dish that in my heart, I wish I knew where they sell this meal. I don't. If you do, please see me after service and bless me. But when you're 10, your taste buds don't do cuckoo. They don't. So you fiddle around in your plate and you wait till what is a soft cord meal deal turns hard and then you start saying stuff like, I don't want this, I'm not eating dinner, so on and so forth. And then your mother hits you with that line that all y'all mama said, boy, don't you know there are kids around the world that would love to have a meal and you sit here and turn your face up what I prepared for you? Don't you know kids are starving all over this world? You sit here with food in front of you and you refuse it. 
Raise your hand if, if your mama, your daddy, somebody, your uncle, auntie, somebody, praise God, okay. Or your dad hits you with this, well, see, uh, it's time to go school shopping and I want two pairs of shoes, uh, but he only wants to get me one pair of shoes. And so he says to me, Rodney, don't you know I only had one pair of shoes for the whole year? And don't you know I had to walk three miles one way to school on one pair of shoes? Don't you know I mean holes? I, you ain't see me. And I'm like, bruh, we ain't, bruh. It's America, man. I got to have a Monday pair of shoes, and I can't wear Monday pair of shoes on Tuesday. That's a violation. I got to have Tuesday pair of shoes. My parents were trying to get me to understand this. You don't have what you want. And so I'm going to compare you to someone who had less than what you had or had it harder than you had it as a means of motivating you to be content with where you are. Now, what I am going to do, and moreover, what Peter has done all throughout this first epistle is has, have, have told us, as you are suffering, one of the ways I want you to deal with suffering is look at Jesus who suffered as fuel for your suffering. And some of us would say, yeah, but that's Jesus. When did he live? The cultures were different. And, and, and he's, he's God's son. I mean, I, how, how am I supposed, how, how can I really relate to Jesus and, and use him as my example when I'm so enamored with where I am in my own suffering and in my own difficulty? This morning, I'm not going to do anything else that Peter doesn't do. I'm going to say to all of us, look at Jesus again and the uniqueness of his suffering. Because Jesus' suffering is altogether, shall I say, different. So we can look to him. We can look to him. Let's see what Peter says first. He says, 1 Peter 3, verse 18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sin. That's good news. We can stop there. This is, verse 18 is gospel rich, is drenched in good news. If you came here discouraged this morning, there's good news in verse 18. He says, Jesus suffered once for sin. Now, Rodney, could you explain this suffering? Did this, is he talking about suffering with Jesus dying on the cross? Yes, he is. With Jesus being beaten with the cat of nine tails? Yes, he is. Is he talking about Jesus having the, 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 um, the crown of thorns pressed into his head? Yes, he's talking about that, but he's not just talking about that. You see, Jesus' suffering started in the incarnation. 
What do you mean? Jesus' suffering started as he came to earth and put on this flesh suit to redeem us. So I want you to see the scope of his suffering. For God to have to put on flesh and come here, that's suffering. To live in a world that is ridden with sin, that's, that's suffering. For the King of kings and the Lord of lords to have to take a nine to five working in his daddy's carpentry shop, getting splinters on his hands, that's all a part of Christ's suffering. So as you suffer and you look to Jesus' suffering, please understand your suffering cannot be compared to his. The different stratosphere of suffering and this suffering, this, this dying on the cross for our sins, this coming to planet Earth, this, 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 this walking on this sin-written world, it happened once and for all. That's good news. In other words, on the cross, when he is about to die, he yells out this term, it is finished. If you've been reading Hebrews in your CBR, you're encouraged about this because you see this high priest that has come and made an atonement or forgiveness of sins once and for all. He's not dying again on no tree. And so what's encouraging about that is if Jesus died once and for all for my sins, he's, he's sure about saving and redeeming me. So I can have confidence in my salvation. So he suffered once for sin. The righteous for the unrighteous. That is a gospel in five words. Do you see that? The righteous for the unrighteous? If you're having trouble figuring out, am I the righteous or am I the unrighteous? You're the unrighteous. You are the mess. You are the one that is, that, that is inconsistent. You break his laws, his commands. You don't live up to your own standards. You're the one that is the unrighteous. So the righteous one, the only righteous one to ever live Jesus dies for the unrighteous. This is what theologians call substitutionary atonement. It is Jesus in my place doing for me what I cannot do. That's good news. And may you not get tired of that. Oh gosh, there it is again. Jesus in my place. If you think that, maybe you're not considering enough you standing before a holy and righteous God and having to give an account. Peter's going to help us with that in just a little bit. But it's Jesus in my place. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad Jesus came in my place. And what did he do? He, he, he did this to bring you to God. He did this. He suffered once for sin. He's the righteous for the unrighteous. Why did he do it? To bring you to God. That's good news. I want you to hear it again. He suffered once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why did he do it? To bring 
you to God. Why? The unrighteous couldn't come. So don't say stuff like, I came to Jesus just as I was. No, you didn't come nowhere. You didn't come to him. He came to you. Why? You couldn't come. It's like you don't have an invitation to a party. I'm just going to show up. No, you're not. You couldn't come to him. He had to come where you are, and he had to bring you to God. Ephesians 2 says it this way. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. You were dead. Dead people don't walk. You're dead. You didn't walk the aisle and come to him. He came to you. That's why you walked the aisle. Dead people don't talk. You didn't get tired of where you are and then pray to him. No, he came to you. That's why you prayed. He initiates the work of salvation. Verse 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. This was you and I, among whom we all once lived, the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Verse 4, some more good news for you this morning. But God... Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive. Get the picture. My wife, she works now in, in, in ICU. She's a nurse and she works in ICU. And she, she called me this week and she said she, she, she had a cold blue. Um, I told y'all about code red last week at the school. This week, code blue with my wife at her job. And so they're trying to resuscitate this man who has flatlined. Get the picture. They're trying to bring him back alive. Ain't nothing he can do for himself. Beloved, the, the reason you are alive in Christ is by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. It is by grace that you are saved through faith, not of works, not of what you do, not of what you muster up. You can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps because you don't have no straps and you don't have no boots. It's by grace that you're saved. Verse 18, he was put to death, uh, verse 19 Oh, no, verse 18. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. To say it another way, Philippians 2.8 says this. He humbled himself, becoming obedience to death, even the death on the cross. In other words, what's cool about Jesus is he comes and suffers once and for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. He does it to bring us to God. He models, he models going through suffering, here it is, while, obe- while being obedient. Philippians says he is obedient even to the death on the cross. In other words... He does not call us to obey when it is only convenient. 
He calls us to be obedient to what he says, even in suffering. Amen. So what does that look like for you? When you have a choice over comfort and obedience, what do you choose? When you have a choice over, over sticking with the status quo or taking a stance for Christ, what do you choose? This happens all over your life. This happens in friendships where you got to choose. Am I going to follow God or am I going to come out of my face? This happens in singleness. Am I just going to go out and wild out and be like everybody else? I just want to be free. Or am I going to bring my burning body to the obedience of Christ? This, this happens in marriage. This, this, this happens in parenting. God... My little kid that is helping me preach. Amen. <laughs> Point number two, preaching patiently. Uh, the, these three verses or so is some of the hardest verses in the New Testament. Um, that's not Rodney's analysis. That's Martin Luther's. Um, this, these, these, these three verses are they're, they're, they're tough stuff. There, there are a couple interpretations. I just want to read the passage to you again so you can feel it. Verse 19 says, In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Wait, spirits in prison? Jesus went and preached? Uh, they did not obey? You're talking about Noah's day? While the ark was being prepared? in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through water. What in the world is Peter talking about? Now, one of the translations say that Jesus, uh, some would say in between his death on the cross and his resurrection, went down into hell and preached to those uh, that were imprisoned spirits there, proclaiming the gospel. I disagree with that interpretation. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll help you see why in just a moment. Here's what I believe this text is saying. That the spirit of Christ was preaching through Noah in the day of the ark. Now, Rodney, how can you say that? I believe it is 1 Peter verses 11, 10 and 11 that says that it was the Spirit of Christ that was preaching through the prophets in the Old Testament. If you've been reading your CBR journal, just in, in, in Judges 13, you see there that there's this angel of the Lord, and, and all of a sudden the angel of the Lord is talking to Samson's parents, and all of a sudden the angel of the Lord is taken up into the fire. Many would say that it's not just an angel of the Lord, it's the pre-incarnated Christ. Here's what I'm just trying to get you to understand. I don't want to lose you. Stay with me. That Christ didn't just show up in Matthew. But Christ was, was, was involved all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 when God says, let us create man in his image and in his likeness. He was there in the beginning. 
And it is the Spirit of Christ that is preaching through prophets in the Old Testament. So there it is. The Spirit of Christ is preaching through Noah in the Old Testament. Now that just changes the game for me. And maybe you hear this morning, you're like, who is Noah? Good question. Noah in the Old Testament, he, he, he is one of the few people that are, that, are, that are attempting to live righteous. And the Bible says that, 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 that Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord, even in the Old Testament. Hear me, it is not by works, but grace. And Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. And, and God tells him to build this ark, and, and Noah faithfully starts building the ark. It takes over 100 years for him to build this ark, and all the while, he is preaching, trying to encourage people to come into the ark because this thing called rain is coming. What is rain? We've never seen it before. Yeah, but it's coming. It's almost like when you talk about hell. What is this hell? How can you know for certain but judgment's coming. And when you hear now that Christ is preaching through Noah to those try, uh, trying to get them to come into the ark, to come into safety, to come into salvation, and they refuse, it helps us understand that your preaching takes patience. You see, because in verse 15, he told us, to be ready to give a defense for those that ask what is the hope that is within you. In other words, when people that don't know Jesus ask you, and they should, how come you don't like everybody else do? You fill in the bank. We should be able to say, man, the reason why, it's not that I'm a really good person. That's just how my parents raised me. No, don't do that. Would you point them to Jesus? And as we're giving a defense, the assumption is if you are a believer, then you are a preacher. You are one that proclaims good news of salvation. And Noah is, is preaching there and Jesus, his spirit is preaching through Noah, telling them, get in the boat. And here's what I want to encourage you, believer. As you share your gospel, let's just get this out in the open, people sometimes will reject you. And we had taken 13 new members. We praise God for that. Noah preached for 100 years and had eight converts, and they all, had, they, they all were related. That's a family church situation. That's as for me and my house for sure. We're going to serve the Lord. So there'll be times you'll, you'll, you'll share your faith and you'll be rejected. And my encouragement to you this morning is just keep on patiently sharing. I was at a conference in Orlando this week. A guy named Doug Logan was preaching. And Doug Logan is like um, hip-hop meets Jesus. I don't know. How else to say it? If you meet Doug, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And Doug gets up and he's like, yo, man, we got to be slow cooking this evangelism thing, man. We got we to gotta put this thing in the crock pot and just, just, just let it stew up and, and then all of a sudden, you know, fruit will come out of it. And what he was trying to say is sometimes we want to have one conversation with somebody and watch them come to Jesus. And it took way more than one conversation with you. 
in your preaching, practice patience. In the same way Christ was patient with you, be patient in your preaching. And Noah gives us a beautiful example of that. Lastly, he says, he talks about baptism. And some will say, oh, well, verse 21 proves that if, if, if you're not baptized, you're not saved. Well, let's look at verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. See, right there, baptism saves. Well, what kind of baptism is he talking about? He clarifies for us if we just keep reading. Not as a removal of dirt from the body as in a ceremonial uh, um, 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 act of worship or what have you. He's not saying, oh, the baptism of, of you going down into water is what saved you. No. But as an appeal to God, for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, baptism is that, is that outward sign of an inward change. It is, it is what he has done in us that we demonstrate outwardly as our profession of faith. And Peter at once adds that outward application of water and removal of the body is not what saves us. It is our application or rather our profession of faith through the obedience of baptism. Point three, and I'm done. Victory for today. Um, Tony Evans, if you know who that is, he's a preacher in Dallas. He's been preaching on the radio for, I don't know, 20 or some odd years. Um, and he's, he's a giant in the faith. Um, he just came out with his own study Bible. He's the first African-American ever to come out with his own uh, study Bible He's just been a pillar in, in evangelicalism forever. And he has a wife, Lois, and in, in April, he came out on social media and just asked the Church Universal to be praying for his wife because she had been cancer-free for many years, but cancer has come back to her gallbladder. And just recently, a little bit over a year ago, they lost their niece, Winter, uh, suddenly died, and now his wife is going through suffering. And so I was on social media, and they had this big legacy thing uh, to really honor his work, but also uh, to honor his wife. And, and, and in this video, uh, all of their grandkids and great-grandkids are coming up, and they're giving flowers to uh, Tony Evans' wife, who is very, 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 very sick. Uh, and the doctors have get thrown up their hands and said that there's nothing else they can do. And the kids are just coming and, and giving these flowers. Now, Tony Evans is he's a tough guy. I, I, I would probably argue it's tough to find a video of him crying anywhere. He's, he's tough. But as his grandkids and, and great-grandkids are coming and bringing these flowers and handing them to his wife that is alive next to him, Tony is losing it. And he's weeping. And I don't know if this is because I'm a PK that it that it affected me the way it did, maybe because I have, a, I have a, a, a backstage view of pastors leading the church and the things they endure, and now I, now I stand in this position as a pastor that it affected me the way that it did. But the truth of the matter is, we all will suffer like that. We all, hear me clearly, will come up against a situation in which it tests the core of who we are. Here's what Tony says as a result of all of this. He says, we are going to trust God in this 
dark situation. We're asking for you to pray because this cancer is shocking to Tony. Now, he's preached this for decades and decades and decades, but suffering has a way to bring us along in sanctification that our reading and our studying and our preaching cannot do. God uses suffering. There's a quote, uh, I believe, by Charles Spurgeon. He's, he's talking about suffering, and he's talking about the scalpel that God uses in suffering. And he says, God has a scalpel, but he never takes the scalpel further than it needs to go. You see, you are in the hands and the care of a loving father that knows how to bring you through your suffering, even when you lose stuff. Even when you lose people. Tony is there and he's, he's grappling with it. His spiritual sons are there and they're standing by his side. But look what else Tony says. He says, my faith is being tested in a way I've never experienced. So watch what he says next. But I trust God. I choose to believe Our whole family is choosing to believe that. Even now, he knows, talking about God, what he is doing. Even during these uncertain times, we are strengthened by the joy of the Lord. Wait, 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 bro, your your wife is dying. You've preached for decades, no scandal, no, 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 no catching you on tape doing crazy stuff, no mismanagement of money, no, nothing going public. You've just been this staple of faithfulness, and now your wife is dying next to you. Are you talking about the joy of the Lord? How does Tony do this? Pastor Peter is going to help us. Look at verse 22. Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. Do you hear Pastor Peter? Tony, the way you're going to deal with this suffering that is shocking and feels like it's more than you can bear is to understand that I have ascended into the heavens and I sit at the right hand of the Father and I have not left the throne. I have not yielded over control to Satan. I have not lost the battle. As a matter of fact, Tony, I got victory for today for you. Here's what you and I got to remember through suffering is that God is still in control. He's still on the throne. He is still fighting for us. He's still on our side. And that God that promised this is faithful. I said this last week. I said it again. This is a relatively young church. Somebody need to go download this once this comes out on our podcast and just save it in a folder called When That Day Comes. 
to be able to pull what Peter is saying for a day of crisis at which today you have no point of reference. But maybe you're here this morning, you like, Rodney, mm-mm. That's not for a day, that's today. Beloved, be reminded, he's in control. Your suffering cannot come to you unless it has first passed through his hands. He's sovereign. And you got to trust that he's up to something when you can't figure out what he's up to. But his knowledge, his knowledge goes past your knowledge. And man, do I need that as a pastor, as I would sit in the room with congregants in the most perplexing situations. I'll sit in a hospital room when, when people have lost loved ones and, and, and try to find words to say, here's what Pastor Rod needs to be encouraged. Rodney, God's in control. And if you could fix it for them, you would, but you can't. So you trust me. You see, when we get a hold of this, we can start praying like the Hebrew boys who prayed this. Father, I pray that you would deliver me, but even if you don't deliver me, I still am not going to bow down to the idols of our day. What is God calling you to trust him in?